The following podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be sent to DeSantisProd at gmail.com. Are you talking shift? We are. It's time for the We're Talking Shift podcast. Now, now, now. Here to talk shift, Lori Bischoff. We're talking shift. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 81 of We're Talking Shift, the podcast where we talk a lot of shift. Because when we feel stuck, if it's time to level up, rise to a challenge, maybe make a health shift, a relationship, or any kind of meaningful, effective change in our lives, the first step in that process is to shift our thinking. That's the antidote to feeling stuck. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Todd White. Todd is the founder of Dry Farm Wines, which is the largest natural wine merchant in the world. Todd is a leading authority on healthy, organic, natural wines, as well as a writer and a sought-after speaker. He is a man of many talents, I've discovered, including being a self-described biohacker. But the main thing that I'm excited to talk with Todd about today is what makes dry farm wines different and healthier than other wines and why this wine never ever gives me headaches. So if like me, you love to enjoy a beautiful glass or two of wine on occasion, but you hate paying a high price the following morning with a headache and brain fog, then you're going to love this conversation. So Todd, welcome to We're Talking Shift. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to a wide-ranging discussion, and also I'm going to tell your audience about the dirty, dark secrets of the wine business. I can't wait. I have been amazed at what I've, I've been discovering about that, really, since I discovered you and Dry Farm Wines and started listening to some of your uh, interviews on other podcasts and such. So I will be thrilled for you to share that. What I want to start out with real quick, Todd, is I just want to tell you how I, or, or I guess my delight in discovering you. So it was like, I think, December of 2018, I discovered Dry Farm Wines and I'm just telling you, sweet Jesus, it was Merry Christmas to me because I'm, I had divorced wine literally a couple years earlier because of the awful headaches I would get after maybe just one or two glasses. And they would start in the middle of the night and they would last clear into the next day. And I just couldn't get rid of them no matter what I tried. So, you know, it just wasn't worth it anymore. So I, I literally ended my relationship with wine until I discovered yours. So I want to talk all about that, all the, all the dirty stuff, all the good stuff. But before we get into those particulars, I would really love to start by asking you how you st- ended up starting this wine company? You know, was it a lifelong dream or, or something you already had experience? What was your inspiration? Actually, it was, it was an accidental business. So hmm. it, I didn't really start out to create dry farm wines as a business. I was trying to find a healthier way to drink. And <laughs> nice. I was kind of on a personal mission. It turns out I was unemployed at the time. I've been self-employed since I was 17, so I'm kind of unemployable. So I was open to another business idea. I founded about 10 companies. But what didn't start off, Dry Farm Wines didn't start off intending to be a business. Mm -hmm. It just, um, I'd been ketogenic. I have been ketogenic uh, for about six years now. And um, when I... I've been experimenting as a biohacker, and let me define what biohacking means for people who don't know. Please. Biohacking is 
how we how we change or influence our behavior to have a positive influence on our neurological or biological state. So the most common biohack is probably a diet, right? Mm-hmm. Meditation is a biohack. And then there are many, many, there are hundreds of biohacks, uh, cold thermogenesis or heat treatments. There are lots of biohacks. Mm-hmm. But, but I've been experimenting with biohacking and particularly the ketogenic diet since the 1980s when I experimented with, first experimented with the Atkins diet, which is a modified ketogenic diet. Right. But about six years ago, about six years ago, uh, the ketogenic diet, which is now wildly popular and the number one search diet term on Google, and, you know, everybody knows about the keto diet today, but six years ago, it was little known uh, and had only really been discussed in the Atkins book that had come out in the 1980s, except the biohacking community because of recent research on the cognitive benefits of of a therapeutic ketogenic diet. Mm -hmm. Biohackers started to experiment with it, and I was one of those people. Okay. So unlike a modified keto diet, which is the Atkins, I really went deep into ketosis and deep into ketogenic experimentations. And um, when that happened, and this is a common side effect for other people, when that happened, I couldn't drink anymore. I couldn't drink standard wines. I drank wines when I was nine years old. Oh, you started and, young. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had a lifelong love affair with wine. 20 years ago, I moved to the heart of the Napa Valley, and I've lived in, in the heart of the most important wine appellation for the last 21 years. And so... I really had this major obsession with wine and just really liked it. But I found, I found that I couldn't drink it anymore. It was making me feel bad. I was getting sick from it. I was having terrible brain fog, hangovers, and right. I just wasn't enjoying it. Now, was and that so, because of the result, type of wine, Todd, or was that because of the ketogenic diet you were on, or both? I don't, I, 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 I don't know. Too many cofactors okay. in my biohacking life to assign any one thing to one thing, right? Okay. Yeah, but, okay. But, but but here but here here's what I thought. I thought because some people have difficulty um, processing alcohol when they go keto. So I thought it was really just the high alcohol levels in commercial wines, which mm-hmm. has been steadily increasing over the last thirty years. So the alcohol, the wine industry loves alcohol. It's addictive. It's a domino drug. But mm-hmm. see, it's it's also a very dangerous neurotoxin. We'll talk about that in a moment. Okay. But, I thought it was just a higher alcohol because alcohol has been rising in American wines for the last three or four decades, right? So I started looking for lower alcohol wines. And in that process, see, in that process, I stumbled quite accidentally across the natural wine revolution, which was just really getting underway in central France. And it was just completely by accident. So then... What I did next is I took these wines, and since I had made wine in Napa Valley in 2005, I knew something about enology and making wine. I took these wines, these natural low-alcohol wines that I just stumbled upon completely by accident um, and learned about the natural wine movement and what a natural wine is and what that means. We'll talk about Mm -hmm. that in a moment. But then I took these wines, and I took the ones that I really liked the taste of them, and I started lab testing them. So there's there are analogy labs in the Napa Valley because wine is the primary business here. So I take these wines and I start looking for impurities. I also started testing them for sugar 
and for alcohol? And I'll tell you the answer to all these questions and, you know, what okay. we were looking for and also for sulfur dioxide and other impurities. Okay. And so then I sort of had this, you know, this algorithm, this formula. Meanwhile, I was not thinking of it as a business. I was just trying to figure out how to drink really great wine uh, <laughs> right. that made me feel good. And, and then the side effect of all this was that the wines were on taste better. They were friendlier with food. You could drink more of them. I had no, no negative side effects, no hangovers, no brain fog, no, nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they were just better. Um, I started sharing them with some friends of mine who are also biohackers and fitness and performance geeks. And they're like, these wines are amazing and I feel great and you can drink more of them and it's just awesome. Where do you get them? I'm like, well, you can't. And so that's sort of when it became a business, but it, it began just really as a folly to, you know, mm-hmm. to, to drinking better, healthier wine for myself. And yeah. as I mentioned, I was unemployed at the time. So I, uh, you had the time. You know, I launched it as a business. <laughs> that's, that? um, I'm so glad you did because it is the only, it's the only wine that I can now drink without suffering and paying a high price. I love it. Yeah. It's only wine. I can't drink conventional wines and obviously, well, given the growth of our business, hundreds of thousands of other people have also described, just discovered mm-hmm. it. So it's, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing. Let's talk about what a natural wine is for a moment, because that's Please. a very confusing term yeah. to consumers. So when I say I'm in the natural wine business, they're like, well, aren't all wines natural? Right. And they're not. Here's why. So let's just talk about the wine industry. Let's share some of the dirty, dark secrets of the yes. wine business. So if you, if you look at the wine business, and everything I'm about to share with you is all verifiable on a Google search. There's nothing here. The wine industry has managed to keep it secret with their friends, with help from their friends in Washington, D.C., with using lobby money to grease up politicians. They've helped keep it secret. But in fact, you know, everything I'm about to tell you is easily verifiable on a Google search. So mm-hmm. here's what happened to the wine business. And this has happened over the last three or four decades. What happened in the wine business is exactly what happened in our food supply. Sure. So, in other words, massive corporate consolidation fueled by money and greed, right? Yeah. In America, we like to scale everything up, right? And so, just like in our food supply, where eight or ten companies in the food supply basically touch everything that we eat, mm-hmm. the same thing has happened in the wine business. So, 52% of all wines in the U.S. are made by just three giant companies, and oh. the top 30 U.S. wine companies make over 70% of U.S. wines. Now, they don't want you to know that. So they hide behind thousands and thousands of brands and labels to confuse you. They want you to believe that you're drinking from a farmhouse or a chateau. That's how wine is sold, through story and marketing. But mm-hmm. in fact, most of the wines you see on your grocery store shelf or in a bottle shop, most of those wines are manufactured in giant factories in Central California by just a handful of companies. Now, these people, these multi-billion dollar marketing conglomerates, they're very clever, right? And so they keep all this hidden from you. The other thing they keep hidden from you is the fact that there are 76 additives approved by the FDA for use in winemaking. People are like, Mm. what? What do you mean? What additives? Mm -hmm. Well, here's why you don't know about them. The reason you don't know about them is because wine industry has spent tens of millions of dollars in lobby money to keep contents labeling off of wine. 
Yeah. Wine is the only major food product without a contents label. So you don't know what's in it. In addition to that, there's no nutritional labeling on it either, so you don't know how much sugar's in it. And if you yeah. care about your health, then you usually care. Most people who care about their health care about what sugar they're eating. Yes. Right? And so, so contents labeling, is not, it's not an accident that there's not a contents labeling on a bottle of wine. It's intentional, and the industry fuels keeping it off with very strong lobby money. And so if it had a contents label on it, it would look just like the rest of processed foods. Have a whole bunch of stuff in there. You had no idea what it was, how to pronounce it, or what it did to you. Mm-hmm. And so of the 76 additives, some of them are, are actually natural. But four of them are very toxic. And the most toxic one is known as dimethyl bicarbonate, sold under the chemical name Valkyrie. It's used to treat the single most common bacterial fault in wine called Bretomyces, and this very toxic chemical. You look, if you look Wikipedia, dimethyl bicarbonate, you'll see that Wikipedia causes, it causes its hazard toxic. Um, in fact, it's very toxic. And there, there, are three, there are three others that, you know, like ammonia phosphate, copper sulfate. These are all chemicals that are not, that are not friendly to humans. And so, you know, now if you decide you want to drink dimethyl bicarbonate, I think you should have the choice. I think you should have a label on your bottle that tells you what's in it. Right. I think you should also have nutritional information on there and an accurate statement of how much alcohol is in wine because this is another area where the government and the wine industry are colluding again. Alcohol stated on a bottle of wine by law is not required to be accurate. And so really? we only drink low alcohol wines. Our wines range from 7% uh, alcohol to 12.5%. Average American wine today is nearly 15%. That doesn't sound like a big difference, but it's a very meaningful difference between 10% and 15% alcohol. Oh, yeah. Right? I can so most it. of the wines I drink, are, you, 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 they taste different, too. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. more friendly with food, and they're they're lighter, fresher, as you know, from having drank our wines. Very, very different than drinking a commercial wine, not only in terms of uh, – the other thing is very different about it, and the reason it doesn't give you headaches. Um, the reason most people, and particularly women, get headaches or ill effects from drinking particularly red wine, mm-hmm. uh, like we sponsor a lot of over 140 health events last year, health conferences, like – Paleo FX or Bulletproof Labs or, um, you know, very large conferences where health people are interested in the health are gathering. And so I meet thousands of women who complain to me that they you know, say, oh, I love red wine. I can't drink it anymore. Yep. Mm. So I can only drink white. And, uh, and they mistakenly believe it's a sulfite that's causing the headache, but it's not. What causes headache for most people, and particularly women, are biogenetic amines, tyramine, and histamine. Mm-hmm. And, and those, those biogenetic amines are very high in commercial wines because with red wines, they macerate. That's, red wine gets its color from contact with the skins, mm-hmm. which is, we'll get to the winemaking lesson in a moment, but the contact with the skin is how red wine gets its color. It's also how it gets its increase in polyphenols, like mm-hmm. resveratrol. Yeah. But in commercial wines, because people believe that the darker a red wine is, the better quality it is. Of course, there's no truth to that statement, but, but that's a perception. It's a myth. 
And so what winemakers do is they soak the skins longer uh, with the juice, making the wine darker, mm-hmm. and but consequently also get much higher biogen- these biogenetic amines as a result of this extended macerations. It does make the wine darker, though. And then, of course, there's, there's also a coloring agent. The most popular one is called Mega Purple that's also added to wine to make I'm it sure. darker. Okay. Um, so all because people perceive that the darker a red wine, the better the quality it is. And, okay. But as I mentioned, of course, there's no truth to that. So natural wines are uh, also – so here's, there's, there's not presently – there's no certification for what a natural wine is. That's about to change. But presently, there has been no certification. Now, Dry Farm Wines does have a certification program that is above and beyond just being natural. And we can talk about what that is in a moment. But so we do have a certification seal, mm-hmm. but that all of our wines have to meet. But there is a general understanding in the world of what natural wine is, what that means, what that category means. And France just announced two weeks ago that they were actually creating a certification for what natural wine is. Okay. And so, um, so presently, there is a globally understood definition, and that definition is as follows. It's quite simple. It means that the fruit is either organically or biodynamically grown, and biodynamic farming is an, and is an advanced prescriptive form of organic farming. So it's either biodynamic or organically farmed at a minimum. It is fermented with wild native yeast that's indigenous to the vineyard where the grape is grown. Every wine grape in the world, every berry in the world at the time of harvest has yeast on the outside of it. It's kind of a white, waxy-looking film, but Uh it's actually native yeast. It's collected through the air in the vineyard where the fruit was grown. Now, commercial winemakers kill that yeast with sulfur dioxide and then inoculate it with genetically modified lab-cultured yeast. Now, the reason they do that is because you cannot work, um, you cannot make wine in very large quantities with the wild native yeast. It's too temperamental. And oh. it also, wild native yeast are sensitive to alcohol. So if the alcohol level gets too high in the winemaking process, it will kill the native yeast. Mm. And then third, these genetically modified yeast can be... <clears throat> can be purchased in, um, in various flavor profiles. So if you grow an industrial grape in Central California, you want it to taste like it's from Italy, they have a yeast for that. Oh. Right? <laughs> and wow. So, so, this, this, so these, these yeast um, also are very sturdy, the commercial lab-grown yeast. They're very sturdy and strong and easy to work with, and you can make wine in large volumes with them, and they're very predictable where okay. native wild native yeast is not. And then third, there's no additives in the wine, so the wine is additive-free, and uh, nothing in, nothing out. So it's just a natural product. That, okay, so um, it's like the true, so, the true meaning of natural. Correct, correct. Natural is a bit of a squirrely term in the food industry, but in the wine business, it's, 
it's it, it's universally understood as to what it means. And then there okay. are people who there are organizations and trade fairs and and um, that actually monitor. But natural wine business is sort of a thing where you know everybody there's not. These people all know each other. There's only about 1,200 natural wine farms in the world, mm-hmm. right? There's a couple hundred thousand uh, wine growers. There's only about 1,200 of them actually make natural wine. It's quite rare. And so, we're the largest buyer of natural wines in the world. Yeah. So, it's, so it's, what uh, about the organic, though? Does organic, if a person goes and picks up a bottle of organic wine, which most uh, shops are carrying a, at least a few now, you know, they're they're not very expensive. But does that wine label that says organic also uh, mean that it's natural or are they two? They're not connected. Nat- it, it, it does not. They're two different things. So okay. You can have organically farmed. You can have organically farmed fruit, but not not natural winemaking. So they're still using additives. They're still using commercial yeast. This is quite uh-huh. common. I mean, it, they're, mm-hmm. you know, if you go into Whole Foods and, and there are organic, there's an organic wine section there, that doesn't mean that those wines are natural. Most of them are not. It just means oh. that they were farmed organically. Okay. Uh, and in some cases, they may be certified organic, but it sure. doesn't mean that they're natural. Uh, it means mm-hmm. that most of them are using um are using lab cultured yeast and most of them have additives. And so, you know, it's, if you're a, if you're a natural wine, natural wines are, it's, it's, it's like a hippie community, right? Yeah. So, you know, the, you can't, you can't make wine in very large quantities making it naturally. It's just because the yeast, because, because you must use the wild native yeast for spontaneous fermentation in natural wines. That is a, that is a defining characteristic of, of natural winemaking. And you just can't make wine in very large quantities uh, using wild native yeast. It's just too unstable. Sure. So okay. these are all pretty small producers. And, I mean, they couldn't produce to supply something like Whole Foods, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they don't make enough wine. Right, right. right. So Whole Foods, you have, to, you have to make a certain level of wine to be accepted into their program because they have so many stores, right? Okay. You can't just, like... You can't be a small producer and get in there. Okay, so... Um, so and nobody do, knows what natural... Right. People don't know what natural wines are either. Exactly. I mean, this is... Um, like, this is new for me, that the term natural has a whole different um, meaning attached to it and understanding in the wine business than it does when it comes to the food business. Because now, you know, in the food business, the word natural is pretty much meaningless now. And... and Obviously, right. it's it's a whole different story with wine. Now, if the natural wines are additive-free, um, how do they maintain a, a stable sh- shelf life? Well, they're, 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 so, so you you have, you know, you you have. What's one of the differences? I mean, you're going to have some bottle-to-bottle variations in natural wine. Commercial wines don't want that. So, what commercial wines do is they sterilize the wine with sulfur dioxide, and it gives it a very uh, very stable shelf life. It also McDonaldizes Every single bottle is going to taste the same because it's mm. dead wine. It's been killed, right? right? It doesn't have any living bacteria in it. Natural wines, on the other hand, <clears throat> are still alive. They have living bacteria in them because they have not been sterilized with sulfur dioxide at the time of bottling. Mm. And that's and we, we lab test for sulfur dioxide. So sulfites are naturally occurring in all wines. 
they're naturally occurring in any fermented food. Okay. So you're going to have sulfites up to 75 parts per million um, that can be naturally occurring. On average, our wines test at 39 parts per million, but we will allow up to 75 parts per million because we know that that is the outer limit of what can be naturally occurring. Many okay. of the wines that we drink test at 5 or 10 or 15, 20 parts per million. As I said, the average is 39 parts per million. The U.S. limit, the U.S. legal limit for, for sulfur is 350 parts per million. Whoa. And so it's very common for commercial wines to contain 150 to 200 parts per million. But those are sterilized wines, and they're going to have a very long shelf life. They're going to be very shelf-stable, and they're not going to have any bottle-to-bottle variation because they have killed all the living bacteria in it through a sterilization process. Okay. Now, there's a problem with that. It robs the wine of soul, so the wine tastes sterilized. It doesn't taste natural. Mm-hmm. Um, it, also, it also kills living bacteria. Dr. David Perlmutter, New York Times best-selling author on, mm-hmm. on the, micro, on the uh, gut microbiome. Yeah, he's amazing. several times about our natural wines because they contain living bacteria that are known to be beneficial to the gut microbiome. You don't have that in commercial wines because it's all been sterilized with sulfur dioxide. Okay. So, and then there's the issue of sugar. So, yes. not all natural wines. You know, let's talk about dry farm wine certification real quickly because it's, we take natural and then we add a few more rules to it. So, we do not accept any uh, wines where the fruit has been irrigated. So all of our wines are grown without irrigation, hence the name of our company, Dry Farm Wines. Dry farming means farming without irrigation. Okay. Irrigation is bad for the planet. Irrigation is bad for the vine. And irrigation produces a less healthy fruit. So irrigated fruit has lower polyphenols in it than irrigated fruit. I mean, irrigated fruit has much lower polyphenols than dry farm fruit. So when you irrigate a grapevine, you also create a less healthy fruit. In addition, there's a whole bunch of reasons why irrigation is is um, is a bad thing. We don't allow irrigation. Um, most natural wines are dry farmed, but it is not a standard that um, it's not a standard of the definition of natural wine. But all of our wines are dry farmed. Uh, I'm okay. not aware of of uh, of many natural irrigated uh, wines, but I'm sure they exist. Mm-hmm. The, uh, another standard is that we require that our wines be sugar-free, and we do lab yeah. testing for it. Uh, as, a kid, as someone who's interested in a low-carb, sugar-free lifestyle, I don't want to be drinking sugar in my wine. Exactly. Um, and to give you an example, I'll tell you how you get sugar in wine or don't get sugar in wine in a moment we talk about winemaking. But, but we recently tested the top 20 selling wines in the United States, and only two of the 20 we tested met our criteria for sugar, which Hmm. is less than one gram per liter. All the rest of them failed on sugar at various levels. And so we, um, and then in addition to that, we don't drink or sell anything over 12.5% alcohol. And 12.5% wines are actually quite hard to find. And 
12.5% wine that has nothing to do with natural winemaking. There are many natural wines that are 13, 13.5, 14, 14.5% alcohol. So finding the, actually the lower alcohol wines is quite challenging. Hmm. So we, uh, so, and then we don't, um, so the alcohol restriction along with, um, along with the sugar restriction really makes it quite difficult for us to find wines. In fact, out of all the wines that we taste, um, and they must be natural, they must be organic or biodynamic, meet all the natural qualifications, and be dry farmed before we'll even taste them. But of all the wines that we taste, we only purchase 30%. The other 70% either fail on taste or they fail on lab results. So okay. alcohol will be too high um, or uh, they'll contain sugar. So making wine sugar free is not is not is also not a natural wine definition. That's something that's important to us. Mm-hmm. So and and then um, and then quite you know most natural wines are not twelve and a half percent or below. The majority of them are over twelve and a half. So anyway, that's that's where that's where we and so our customers, you know, are um, like you feel completely different and wildly better yeah. from drinking dry farm wines. And so it's, and which has led to kind of this crazy path of growth and being able to help hundreds of thousands of people drink, you know, better wine. Right. And because they, people who are interested in their health, people who care about what they put in their body, you know, yes. are sensitive. They, they can, they know how they feel. Right. And so yep. it's, you know, it works. It's not marketing spin. You taste it, you drink it, you feel better. It's just yeah. a fact, right? And so, yeah. and everybody has a similar experience. The other thing is, once you start drinking our wines, you can't go back to drinking commercial wine, right? Mm-hmm. It just, it, they just don't taste right. You can taste the additives in it. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, yeah, you do get a, a more uh, educated palate, I guess, or a sophisticated palate in a way. Sophisticated in that um, you just... I guess sophisticated isn't the right word, but you, it just, it knows. It's just an informed palate, I guess, is a better word. You just can start to tell the that's difference. A, that's a great way to that. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I, I, I love it. Um, like I said, I had to divorce wine and it was funny because I thought, is this just because, you know, as I've gotten older, you know, over the years, my body is just not tolerating wine as well or, now I believe it's probably, you know, maybe that has something to do with it, but I feel like with everything that you've said and that I've learned from you, um, it seems like more it's been the the evolution of commercial wine and how over these last several decades, you know, the amount of additives and the way it's produced has been just accelerated for you know, for mass marketing, for mass production and mass marketing. And so it's just more toxic. It's completely toxic. Here's the thing. Wine companies, commercial wine companies, are not trying to make wine healthier. They're trying to make it faster and more profitable. Mm -hmm. So in that process, you have a lot of industrial farming, a lot of toxicity, a lot of chemicals in farming, and then a lot of chemicals in winemaking. It allows them to make wine faster, cheaper, and with less risk. When I say less risk, when you make wine, there are a number of inherent risks to it. 
you know, you could, you're one of the primary ones with yeast is that the fermentation breaks. And so, which is a serious, a serious issue in winemaking if your fermentation breaks, like it stops working in the middle of fermentation. And then, which is why they use commercial yeast. And then there are bacterial faults, bacterial um, issues that can occur in winemaking. You use chemicals to control those. When you make wine in big factories, you have to use you have to use a lot of chemicals to control these bacterial risks. And so it's 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 a living thing, and it mm-hmm. has living risks to it. And so that's that's the reason that all these. <clears throat> These additives and chemicals have been approved for the use in, in winemaking. These big wine companies just want to make wine cheaper and faster. Sure, and that's sure. That makes you feel so bad. And yeah. it's gotten worse. I mean, this started out, you know, thirty or forty years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, you know, this is it's increasingly gotten worse over the years, and it also seems to affect. You mentioned earlier, just getting older. It also mm-hmm. seems to affect people as they age worse, right? So yeah. maybe younger people can tolerate it a little right. bit better. So it is yeah. it is related in, in part to, uh, although we have a tremendous, the, the natural wine world uh, was basically and still remains, you know, just a bunch of kind of hipsters, right? So mm-hmm. it was never, you know, people didn't have access to it. If you didn't live in New York or Los Angeles or San Francisco, you know, five years ago, you three years ago, you would never even have access to a natural wine because nobody knew what they were. Yeah, and they, as a result, they're still quite affordable. So our wines average twenty two dollars a bottle. So right. they're quite affordable for a reasonably priced for a handcrafted fine wine. Pr- fine wine. And yeah. So you, you know, it's nobody knows knew what they were. The only place you know you had a few bars and restaurants and. In Brooklyn, even in San Francisco today, even today in San Francisco, there are only two natural wine retailers, and they're both very small. Mm-hmm. Um, in New York, there are probably half a dozen uh, natural wine retailers, meaning all they sell are natural wines. Okay, like you wouldn't go into you wouldn't go into like a normal wine shop and they'd have a natural wine section. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, uh, basically, the retailers who sell natural wine, like us. We don't sell anything but natural wine. And the same thing for the natural wine retailers. You go in their shop, there's nothing. Now, their wines might not meet our criteria because they're higher in alcohol and they might contain some sugar, but they're natural. Right? Okay. You don't kind of like stumble into a wine store and stumble on natural wine. Right. It's just like there's you know, just a bunch of hipsters, just a bunch of hippies who sell this stuff. <laughs> and then they have right. a following of people. You know, what we did was really tell the story about health. So mm-hmm. we don't really think of ourselves in, in the wine business. We think of ourselves as, as being in the health food business, right? And so I love that. Just yeah. we happen to sell wine. Yeah, and so I look. Not, yeah, I look. I look forward to the day too when hopefully some restaurants are going to have some natural wines because that's something that. Um, you can't find, or, you know, maybe you can in some of the cities that you mentioned, but for the most part, it's non-existent. If I go out to dinner somewhere, 
Yeah, yeah. I'm, I rely, if I go out to dinner and I know I'd like to have a glass of wine with dinner, you know, I have to get my head in the right place because I know I'm probably going to pay for it the next day. Um, but the other thing I've discovered is these nifty little wine wand filters and they do help a lot. So it's this, you know, little like four inch wand with a little filter on the end. Um, and I pop that in, I, I carry a couple in my purse and I pop that in my glass of wine, you know, sitting at the bar at my table and I swirl it around for three minutes. I take it out and um, it's supposedly it removes up to 95% of the histamines and the sulfites. But I, and I do notice that that does help a lot. But other than that, you know, you're just, you're out of luck. I'm either not going to drink any or, um, or I know I'm going to suffer if I do have a glass. Well, or you, you know, if you live in California or many other states, you can just go in and, and pay a small corkage fee. It depends on where you live. Right. Um, also, right. there's there's a couple of other ways to find natural wine. Now, they're not again, they don't meet all of our standards, but they are natural. There's a there's a there's a smartphone app called Raisin, that's mm. the natural wine app. That's kind of a map based location that will show you if there are natural wine retailers, restaurants, or bars in the town where you are. And if you're in a place oh. like New York, you're going to find quite a few listings, or Paris, or London, or sure, you know, San Francisco or Los Angeles. And then, and then you can also do a Google search for natural wines in your area. And again, depends on where you live. You know, you may find you may find something there. But if you live in Kansas City or Des Moines or you know or mm-hmm. Wichita, right. you're not going to find any natural wine. That's just no, there. the only no. way you could get it is to order it delivered to your heart. Your house, and then that's what I do, and, Todd. I'm um, I'm in Cody, Wyoming, Todd. There are no natural wines here, uh, except the ones no, in, there's in no my natural house. Wine and wine. I assure you, there's not any natural wine in, in, in Wyoming. No, 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 no. Uh, the only natural wine is in my bar, <laughs> from you. So. Right. So let's let's talk for a minute about um, I want to circle back around because I'm very interested in the um, um, driving home the point about the neurotoxins. And then also let's talk a little bit about um, like addictiveness and and how healthy is is healthy wine and how much is not healthy. Yeah, well, here, here's yeah, we should also cover the winemaking winemaking science briefly because it addresses several several issues. But here, look, most people are surprised to hear the wine guy, me, say, mm-hmm. look, alcohol is a very dangerous neurotoxin, and we have to treat it with, with great care. What mm-hmm. I mean by that is that, I mean, for much of my adult life, I had a, you know, a, a, a relationship with alcohol, a, a, a tentative relationship with alcohol. When I used to drink spirits or I was younger and drank more and partied harder. And mm-hmm. so, you know, drinking less is actually turns out it's a lot better for you. It's a lot better for your brain. Mm-hmm. And since I, like most people, don't like to have a glass of wine, I like to have several. <laughs> right? I only drink at night. I don't drink during the daytime. Mm-hmm. But I do drink around the dinner table and, and following that. And so if I'm going to have several glasses of wine, then the only way to control the amount of alcohol that I'm taking in is to drink lower alcohol wines. Mm-hmm. Right. So I love wine. I don't love alcohol. Yes. And so that, that, that's an important, that's an important distinction. I love drinking yeah. wine. I do not love drinking alcohol. Um, and, and there, fortunately there are a lot of people like me, right. Yeah. Who, 
don't want to give up wine, but want to feel better. Right? Yes. And want to be healthier and care about their brain health, particularly as we age. Right. So I think this reason it's super important to drink. It's the single most important thing to me. So even if I'm in a place where I know I can't get natural wine and I feel like I'm going to want to drink a wine, the first thing I'm going to look for is the lowest alcohol I can get, mm-hmm. right? Because alcohol is going to be the number one determinant to, to how you're going to feel, both okay. while drinking it as well as the next day. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's super important, and particularly for brain health. And so, and particularly at this time when people are sheltered in during COVID-19 and they're drinking more in general, yeah. it's an even more important time. To, uh, to think about drinking lower alcohol. Or, you know, the Greeks, um, you know, back in the, back in the day of the Stoics, the, 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 the Romans, the Greeks actually put water in their wine. And so they would actually <laughs> dilute it, it down with water in order to cut the amount of alcohol that they were consuming while still allowing them to enjoy, uh, enjoy drinking wine. So that was, sure. and, you know, from time to time, in the summertime, I oftentimes will put will put um, sparkling water in my wine, and you know just to lower the alcohol. Yeah. So it also tastes different, right? So it's yeah. so it's kind of it's kind of more fun. So right. It's yeah, it's really important to 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 watch our alcohol consumption. Let's go to winemaking for a second because this mm-hmm. is important on a number of issues. It's important for um, it's important for um. For alcohol, it's important for how wine becomes sugar-free, and it's important to understand why red wines contain over 800 polyphenols, flavonoids, and antiflavonoids, and white wine contains just over 200, and I'll tell you why. Okay. So in the winemaking wine process, how you make wine is that you wine people, the most common question we get is, how is your wine sugar-free? Isn't there sugar in grape juice? Yes, there is. So grape juice is teeming with sugar. So here's how you make wine. You press the juice from the berries, and the juice goes into a tank. If it's a natural wine, it will begin to spontaneously ferment once it reaches a high enough temperature. If it's too cold, yeast won't activate. But once once the temperature is satisfactory, then, then you'll have a spontaneous fermentation without doing anything. Fermentation will just occur because the yeast which is already present, will start eating the sugar. The sugar is the yeast food source. Mm-hmm. And as the yeast is eating the sugar, the, the output or byproduct of that is ethyl alcohol and carbon dioxide. That's how you make wine. If okay. you're a commercial winemaker, first thing you do is you pour sulfur dioxide into the juice to kill the native yeast. So you can inoculate it with the lab culture yeast. You can't have the yeast competing. Mm. But Back to the natural wine, it just spontaneously starts to ferment. Now, if a wine is allowed to fully ferment, meaning the yeast are allowed to eat all of the available sugar, it will be fully fermented. The yeast will consequently die because they don't have any more food. Okay. And so because they've eaten all the available sugar. And in that case, that's called a fully fermented wine that is sugar-free. Right. Now... What's happening with commercial wines and how wine gets, how sugar gets in wine is the winemaker introduces sulfur dioxide to the wine during the fermentation process to kill, to intentionally kill the yeast before they've eaten all the sugar. 
see, when you're making wine, you've got this little device that's, that sits in the wine in the wine tank. You can see exactly how much sugar is in it. And when they have the desired level of sugar that they want to leave behind in the wine, they dump sulfur dioxide into the wine and they kill the yeast and stop. they break the fermentation, leaving behind what's known as residual sugar or RS in the industry. Right, And they leave sugar behind in wine for a whole bunch of different reasons. It gives wine mouthfeel. It gives it uh, texture. It gives it okay. long finishes. It, okay. uh, it, it's something that appeals to American sugar just in general. It doesn't have to taste sweet to contain sugar because wine has a lot of acid in it. It doesn't have to, con- it doesn't, it doesn't have to taste sweet to contain sugar. The only mm-hmm. way we know wine is sugar-free is the lab test. Because oftentimes you can't, even to taste professionals like us, you can't te- you can't test five, you can't taste five grams or you know seven or eight grams mm-hmm. of sugar. You can't always taste it. Right. Sometimes I can feel it, but I don't taste it. Okay. And so, the lab testing is the only way to know. Now, that's how wine gets sugar free. Now, how red wine becomes healthier, and also how red wine gets its color, as I mentioned earlier, is contact with the skin. So when you make white wine, it just the juice gets pressed from the from the berries, and the juice just free runs into a tank, and you ferment there. The skins get discarded. When you make red wine, the skins come out of the press, and they get dumped into the tank with the juice. So when you squeeze juice from a white wine grape and you squeeze juice from a red wine grape, they're both clear. Red wine gets its color from contact with the skin after it's pressed. And okay. that's also, it's actually the skin, the seeds, and some stems. That's also where red wine gets its increase in polyphenols. The most famous one is called resveratrol. Mm-hmm. So it's contact with the skin is why red wine gets its color. It's also why it has higher healthy compounds like polyphenols in it. And it's why it's generally recognized as the healthier of the two, uh, whether you drink white or red, mm-hmm. red wine has about 800 polyphenols and white wine has just over 200. So where does so rosé fit in? Red wine. Is, but, uh, in terms of, it depends on how it's made. Okay. So there's a couple of different, there's two different methods of making rosé. You're going to have higher polyphenols in rosé than, than, uh, than white. It's going to mm-hmm. fall in between. I don't okay. know the exact number, actually. It's a good question. Uh, mm-hmm. We sell rosés. I don't drink a lot of them, um, mm-hmm. and nobody's ever asked me that question. I'll research that, and I'll have an answer for it next time. I don't know. <laughs> uh, some rosés, depending upon how they're made, some, um, but that both of them have skin contact, so sure. so they're going to have some some increase in polyphenols. I don't I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. And I guess I was just curious because I was thinking just literally in the last couple of days, I saw that you are offering a rosé and I thought, I need to try that and see how it is. I, I typically lean in toward red red wines myself. I prefer that. But the rosé just caught my eye, so I was going to try and that's why it was on my mind. I thought I would ask. Yeah, they're delicious. Most most red wine, most rosés contain sugar. And so, the, you know, it's very common for rosés to be on the sweeter side. And ours yeah. are kind of crisp and bone dry and just much more interesting, I think, than uh, I never drank rosé before because it always contains sugar. Same reason I never really drank white wines much before either because they very often contain sugar. Right. 
Yeah, I, that's um, been my experience. I'm primarily too, a red wine drinker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't like the sweet stuff either. Um, but I figured if it's a dry farm wines, it's probably not got added sugar to it, so it may be, uh, you know, something different for a change without, without all of the bad stuff that. No, you know, they're for- sugar free. They're they're yeah. all wines we sell, including the sparklings. The sparkling wines are very difficult to find sugar free. Yes. Ah, I haven't even tried one of your sparkling yet. Okay, I'm making myself a note. Put that on my to-do list. (laughs) Note to self. Nice. Yes. So, do you have time to share a going rogue story with me, Todd? Well, I have many. I guess the first (laughs) one is probably the most important one that, um, that probably influenced my life in the greatest way. Um, at 17, I dropped out of high school. Mm, me and, too. Uh, and, and never attended school again. And that probably, you know, at the time was pretty radical. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, there are a lot of alternatives. Uh, but this was in 1970, in the late 1970s. And so, Same here. you know, people just didn't drop out of high school. But anyway, I came home right. and uh, told, told my parents, that I was going to drop out and they were quite alarmed um, <laughs> and <clears throat> called the minister over to, from our church to talk with me. And I'll never <laughs> forget, you know, that, that day they said, um, they said, you know, we can't make you go back, but you're going to regret this for the rest of your life. <laughs> right. And, by age 26 or 7, I was a multimillionaire and I own my own business. I've been self-employed since I, since I dropped out of high school. I've been self-employed nice. ever since. Nice. And since money was commonly a measure of, of you know, what people think of as success, yeah. I don't think it, money is an indicator of success, but money is a very simple thing. Sure. Um, the indication of success is a joyful and peaceful life. Right. Yes. And so, I, but anyway, you know, when I was in my, when I was in my late twenties, I, um, I, when this topic would come up with my parents, you know, of course I was more successful than anybody else in my family and so on and so forth. And, uh, the, uh, it's also worthy. It's also worth noting. I've since then I've been broke twice. So <laughs> it hasn't yeah. always been a gentle ride. Right. But I'd tell my parents, I'd I'd tell my parents, I'd say, you know, the only thing I regret about dropping out of high school was that I didn't do it sooner. Yes. (laughs) And so, uh, so that was kind of, that was kind of my, my first going rogue story. But, you know, there've been many, as I mentioned, you know, in that path of an entrepreneur and 10 companies later, uh, I've also been broke twice. Sure. Most recently, just before, uh, just before I found the dry farm wines, the prior business to that failed and left me uh, penniless and in debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, um, yeah, That's so sick. it's you know the, the 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 failure piece for people who look if you if you're going to do anything in life that leaves much of an impression, you're going to fail trying to get there. Right. Yeah. Because you're going to have tried some things that other people thought were crazy and it turned out maybe they were along the way or that you weren't yet prepared to 
manage your success or you weren't prepared to, um, you weren't prepared for the obstacles that being different, doing something different creates. Mm -hmm. So over time, of course, with those failures, you know, you learn a lot of important lessons. Success is not, you know, success is not much of a teacher. The success just allows you to have more shiny objects. Yep. You know, your, your, your friend, your friend in education is failure. You know, failure is indelible. You know, when you're broke, you don't forget those lessons soon. You know, and, and uh, in my case, I had to go there twice. I won't be going back again. But, <laughs> um, but you know, also create a lot of value along the way, change a lot of lives. Um, had some, um, even at this big grand failure that I had six years ago was, um, you know, was a great idea. And uh, could have um, changed the, the the face of the industry that I was in, but I just wasn't prepared for it. Right? Mm-hmm. And it was not something I wanted to be doing or needed to be doing. I was my motivations were around money and opportunity, and that's just oftentimes a very poor. That's just a very poor reason to do something. It's just because you see an opportunity. Yeah, um, but I think it's. But it's it's very common for entrepreneurs, you know, to to chase opportunity. Right? Yes. Because they see a place to create value and to build a business. But mm-hmm. I think in order to really be in order to ensure the highest degree of success, you know, it's 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 more helpful if it's if if the concept of what we're trying to pursue means more to us than just an opportunity. Yeah. And And I um, think as you go through, you know, some of those experiences, um, you know, your reasons uh, for doing what you're going to do and taking the risks that you're going to take, you know, they they change because the, the meaning of why you do what you do changes as you get a little bit older and a little bit more experience. Um, I mean, I, I can relate to everything you're saying. We've had, we've had many successes many times. Uh, my husband and I am speaking of where we uh, took big risks and went out and, you know, attempted some pretty big ventures and, um, and failed and lost our asses, <laughs> you know, and just right. The same sure. thing that you've, you know, the same thing that you've described. It's been, you know, that, that entrepreneurial spirit is really quite the roller coaster ride, but you do get to a point eventually where you really, um, you learn, you change, uh, you change the meaning of, of success and in your own book. And, and then, um, you decide that, uh, the decisions you make moving forward are going to be based on different criteria, I think. Um, and I love what you said. Success is not much of a teacher, but boy, those, those, um, those failures and those challenges sure are, if you're wise, they do make you wiser and they do make you much more resilient and probably better prepared than to do what you're really, um, once you find what you're really, really passionate about doing. And it's usually something that involves, I think, um, contributing and, and doing something valuable in the world. Yeah. Money should be the result of what you right. do, not the reason for why you do it. Yeah. Right. Well so, um, you know, our financial re- success today is a result of, of our practicing a passion that we have and practicing a dedication to solving problems and making people live, help, helping people live healthier lives. 
Yeah, that it, I'm all about it. I love that. That's that's why I do what I do. It's all about to me. It is all about really two things. I think that life is all about relationships and the health of those relationships. And and when I say relationships, I mean I mean you know how we relate to. Um, everything and everyone, our relationships, you know, with each other, with ourselves, with our health, with, with nature, with our environment, our relationship with money, with food. I mean, it just, everything is about the relationship, how we're relating and how healthy, you know, we're doing it. So I love what you're doing. Um, I'm, I think it's a, it's wonderful. And I know that you are doing so many other really good things too, that I would love to talk to you more. Um, maybe at another show, if you'd be willing to come back about, about your ketogenic lifestyle. My husband does, he loves that. That's his, that's his thing. He's, he's big into that. And, uh, and I know you have a very unique way of running your company as well. So, um, I would just love it if you'd be willing to come back and talk about some of these other things at some point. That'd be awesome. I think you know, company culture is probably the thing that, other than wine, that I speak most often about. Like um, you may be aware, at my company, we spend the first hour of every morning meditating together, and we're doing that yeah. even now uh, via Zoom. So we're still continuing our meditation practice. Um, we That's don't meet wonderful. until, or we don't Zoom now. We'll be back to meeting again at some point, but. We don't mm-hmm. meet until 10 in the morning because we like to protect everyone's morning to focus on family time or into their personal fitness regiments or their own personal meditation practices. So Lovely. I think it's really important to start later in the day so that, and I work with an extraordinary group of people who are all top performers. They're not getting up at 9.30 to come to work at 10. They're up at 5.30 and they have their morning protected to mm-hmm. uh, pursue their own personal practices, which generally is fitness for most people. And then maybe uh, the ones that have children, more time with their children in the morning. So, mm-hmm. um, and then we don't start creating until about 11 or eleven fifteen in the morning. And then we stop around between five and six. So we're actually only open to create about six hours a day. And, mm-hmm. um, but we get plenty done in that six hours because we're, very focused yeah. and, and very calm. You know, we start our day with peace. So, yes. Yeah, I, there's a lot, lot, to, lot to know about, about our culture. Yeah, I think you're leading the way there. Um, and it's probably going to take a while for a lot of places to catch up to that. But I think you, you are definitely on the leading edge of that. And I applaud you. It's, it's amazing. And you're going to be probably one of those companies, if not already, that other companies are going to be looking to, to say, show us how to do this. Um, it's just, it's, I mean, it's, it's better. It's just better all the way around. Again, the, the, the health of your company is directly related to the, to the health and the state of mind of your, of your people, of your team. So it just makes sense that you have found this wonderful formula and you're proving that it works, that people don't have to be there, you know, drudgery at, at, at the crack of dawn and putting in, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week to, um, you know, to produce um, a quality product or service. I think it's fantastic. It works. 
I promise you, it, it works quite well. Thank you so much, Todd. I am going to put um, the Dry Farms, uh, Dry Farm Wines website on the show notes. Is there any other um, place that you would like to tell people to check out other than the website? Any social media platforms or anything? We are Dry Farm Wines on all social platforms, so we're pretty Perfect. easy to remember. Perfect. All right. I will make sure I note it as well. And uh, I look forward to having you back. Thank you so much for the time today, Todd. I really appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you. Have a great day. Wow. Well, how enlightening was that, you guys? So many dirty secrets in the commercial winemaking business. And it's just so sad that it's become just another processed beverage full of processed sugar, additives, and chemicals. I mean, it is no wonder you feel like crap after drinking it. But, you know, for those of us who enjoy a glass of wine now and then, but we also make health a top priority, thank God there are some good people making natural wines that are not adulterated and polluted with sugar and nasty additives. So if you love wine too, and you're as greedy as I am about having good health, then I promise you Dry Farm Wines is the only way to go. Remember, it is the only lab-tested, 100% clean, all-natural, organic, sugar-free, keto-friendly, health-quantified wine merchant in the world. I love their wines, and I know that you will too. I guess this kind of sounds like a wine commercial for Dry Farm Wines, and I really don't intend it to be. I, I assure you it is not. I'm just super passionate about sharing everything that I've discovered that might help you shift into a higher state of physical and emotional health and well-being. So cheers to that. Anyway, if you need a little bit of help making some health shifts in your diet, head on over to lauriebischoff.com and check out my food print plan. It's actually a blueprint for helping you create a healthier eating lifestyle. I make it really easy for you to understand and implement. It contains some of the tools that I use with my private clients and some awesome templates to help you build and streamline a plan. It's just almost crayons and stick figures simple, you guys. But that is also where you can go find out what private coaching with me is all about. So check it out. And there's a nifty little free download for you there. Once you get there, if you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you would please take a minute to give it a rating and a review and do not keep all this fascinating wine info to yourselves. Please make sure to share the link to this episode with your wine drinking friends. Until next week, stay feisty, my friends, stay healthy and go make some epic shift happen in your lives. You too, Gary V. The preceding podcast was a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be directed to desantisprod at gmail.com.